We're in the book of Genesis. If you would stand with me as we read the Word of God, Genesis, and we're in chapter 23. The first book of the Bible. If you don't have your books of the Bible memorized, just open to the first one. Genesis and chapter number 23. And Sarah was an hundred and seven and twenty years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kerjath Arba. The same is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a, a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the, to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, if it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is at the end of his field, for as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of a burying place amongst you. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went in at the gate of his city, saying, Nay, my Lord, hear me, the field give I thee, and the cave that is therein, I give it thee, in the presence of the sons of my people, give I it thee, bury thy dead. And Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land, and he spake unto Ephron in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me, I will give thee money for the field, take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying, My lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephron. And Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, four hundred shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. And the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field, and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in, the, in all the borders round about, were made sure unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth before all that went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre. The same is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to actually read there, but our message will be from Genesis. Is that Brother Leon? Leon made it. Okay, so Leon, come on up here. and You're going to uh, open our service here or before the message to pray. In just a moment. So I want to speak to you on this subject today. Hope beyond the grave. But that word hope I'm using in the biblical sense. A sure confidence. We have an absolutely 100% persuasion of a hope. 
after this life. The children are just, they have children's church, by the way. The children would like to go to the children's church back there. We do. I don't know how we have children workers, but somehow we do. Is it, is it joy? Is it joy today? Yeah. Praise God. So I'm going to ask Brother Leon to come and pray for us as we share this message today. Thank you, Leon. Praise God. I'm glad you're here, brother. Praise God. He protected you. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your amazing grace and your excellent mercy. Lord, sometimes we don't know what would ever happen to us, but in the midst of everything, you protect your kids, your family, your, your, your children. You protect everyone around us, oh God. Lord, your will is sovereign. We know that for sure. Lord, death was right before me. May God protect me. I was seeing this morning. My God, you're amazing. The way you have allowed us to do things sometimes is unexpected, but your purpose for our life is really unique. Oh God. Lord, eternity is really close by because we know that we're serving you and we know we say, you're gonna say, you save us and you're going to protect us, as you said. You say you never leave us, nor protect, nor, you never leave us, nor forsake us, but you protect us to the end. And um, I think of the, the scripture that says, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct thy part. Amen. Father, there's nothing you cannot do. Lord, you sometimes say in your word that life and death is in the power of the tongue. As Pastor Record preached today, Father, I ask you for him to really deliver a message that will challenge us that life death is very close to me this morning, Father. It's not even close to think about, but it's really close. But God protected me to my phone and my ability to communicate effectively. And um, Lord, I pray for this man who got stabbed. I pray, Lord, that he will be saved. The one who will be caught, Father, may give him forgiveness and repentance, oh God. Lord, eternity is really the thing we have to think about because, you know, I left home and I had so much zeal and purpose why I want to be here. And I didn't make it in time, but Father, you brought me here safely, thank God. Mm-hmm. Lord, your word is true. We want to acknowledge you today, Father. This is not really me crying before you. This is me saying thank you for saving me and keeping me thus far. Lord, you are an awesome God. We thank you so much. May your word be preached today and that the Holy Spirit will do his work and that you'll see us to the end of this day and to the year, oh Father. We ask you for help, for strength, and for guidance. For we serve you with a willingness. We have a great relationship with you, Father. We don't want to break the bond of relationship to uh, wrongdoing a sinful practice but we ask you God to lead, lead us to the throne of grace that we find help in time of need Amen. thank yes. you Father for this we bless your holy name and we praise you may you give pastor the strength and the zeal and all the preparation you put into this message to really deliver a song message that will bring us just closer to you and if there's anyone here that is not saved we pray God that you would Give them a heart of compassion to trust in you because you are God who can show us tremendous things and you are walking our life through the years. So we thank you now and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Praise God.
when we experience the mighty hand of Jesus Christ rescuing us from eternal hell and saving us to eternal life, a life beyond the grave, and gives us that sure confidence that when we die, we will be with Jesus Christ. That will lead to a revived life. Really, revival is in my heart today. Because we need a real revival as we go into this new year. In our own lives, in our church, our city, our nation. I remember when Mike Pelletier was here a number of years ago, he said, revival is the only hope for our survival. America is in a spiritual and moral freefall. America needs revival. Our city. But we need revival. You need the reviving presence of the person of Jesus Christ, your Savior, to be real in your life and give you that sense of a sure confidence, of a hope beyond this life. This life is not what it's all about. We're going to live with Jesus forever. Just think of that. That's a revival theme, isn't it? I believe we see this theme in Genesis chapter 23. Now, this chapter, Sarah dies and Abraham weeps for the first time that we see that he weeps. And he goes into these ancient negotiations. And it's really quite interesting if you like negotiation. He goes into these negotiations with the people of the land of Canaan, with Ephron, this Hittite. And the, the transaction is done at the gate of the city. It even says in verses 17 and 18, of course, the gate is where they transacted legal business. And so they did the business there, right in the gate. So this was done legally. It was done publicly for Abraham to purchase this cave. And why is this important? To purchase this cave, and you can still visit today, it's called the Cave of the Patriarchs. Here's a picture of part of it. There's actually a big building if you go visit it in Israel. But this is the actual entrance of the cave that they have today where Abraham would bury Sarah, where later Abraham would be buried. And, and I have the verses there. We won't look at Genesis 49, but it also says how Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob were buried in this same cave, this cave of Machpelah. And it also says he bought the cave, but, but I love how, how it also says in in Genesis chapter 23 in our passage, it, it also says he bought the field and the trees that were in the field and the borders around this, around this cave. But why is this important? It shows that Abraham has faith in the promises of God. It shows that Abraham knows this life is not all that there is. And he buries Sarah with the hope and in faith that she and he will inherit this land that God has given to them. They didn't inherit it this side of earthly death. But they're going to inherit it on the other side. The promises of God are true. And that's why this passage speaks to us and breathes to us revival. 
of a sure confidence of hope beyond the grave. So I ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and, and I would like to read a few verses as we begin today. Hebrews chapter 11 says in verse 10, actually let me go up to verse 9. It says, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You see, he, he was looking for something that really wasn't there. He was looking for the heavenly city, right? He had hope beyond the grave. Through faith, Sarah, also Sarah herself, received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised, therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, and as, and as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith. Now watch this. This is really the verse. These all died in faith, having received, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had the opportunity to have returned. So there he's talking about what country? The Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham came out of. So when Sarah died, did he bring Sarah back to the Ur of the Chaldees to be buried there? No, there was no turning back to the Ur of the Chaldees. He was putting his faith in the promise that God had given him that land. And so it says there in verse 16, And now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. What city? (laughs) The eternal city, the city of God. The city that will be in this land. And Abraham will inherit this place with his people. of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Let's pray. So God, give us a revived vision, as Abraham had, to look for a city. We thank you, Lord. Help us to fix our hearts on you today. Help us to trust you, to to sing to you, to praise you. God, because you're the God of amazing grace and very special promises that do give us a sure hope beyond this life beyond the grave that one day we will go into ourselves, dear Lord, unless you return delivering us from that. In Jesus' name, amen. I also want to just say before I really get into this message that I wrote this morning, the people that are sick in our church on the top of my sermon, and they're all in my heart. I won't list their names but they know who they are if they're here on the Zoom. And let's just pray for healing in our church, in our city, our nation, our world. So, revival. In the 1900s in in Wales, which is a part of Great Britain, of course, and here are the different parts of Great Britain. Wales is next to England It's the green in the map there. Wales was the largest exporter of coal in the world. It brought fuel to Great Britain and beyond, and heat 
through the coal that was mined in those caves. Well, the Welsh people were a hard-working mining people. That kept the bars full. The football matches, frequent soccer for them. But weekly church attendance was a ritual. The churches were empty. But there were those in Wales praying for revival. One of these praying for revival, among many, was a young man named Evan Roberts. He was a miner. He went to the mines at the age of 12 and worked there as a young boy. But he always carried his Bible with him. He had godly parents. He came to know the Lord. A deacon told him one time when he was in church, at the age of 13, a deacon told Evan, Be faithful, son, for what if the Holy Spirit descended and brought revival and you were absent from church? So Evan went to church every time the doors were open when he had the ability to do so. He was never without his Bible. He prayed for revival for 11 years. He prayed for the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. So here this young man, an uneducated miner from Wales, praying for revival, along with others. At the age of 26, he was preparing for ministry. And services began. And God came down. And I can't explain it. You can read about the Welsh Revival, but Evan Roberts was one of the main voices. Revival didn't come because of Evan Roberts. Let me just say that. Revival came by the power and grace and mercy of God because people wanted His power in their lives. Power, the reviving power comes to a praying people. And they were praying for God. And God came down in an incredible way in Wales. This is in the early 1900, 1904. Evan Roberts began preaching. And the, the, the building was not, there was no building big enough to hold the crowds that would come. The soccer matches were canceled or scheduled around the church services. The, the bars were forced to close because no customers showed up. The churches filled up. Anecdotes were told, such as a man passed by a bar and the bartender came out and held up a pint of beer and said, Come on in here! The drinks are free! Drink with us! And the young convert held up his Bible instead and he said, No, we're going with this now! That's the revival we need. We need to put down the alcohol and put down the things of this world and the drugs and all the things of this world and go with this now. And the young man told the bartender, this is the key to heaven and that is the key to hell. Agnostics were saved. Drunkards were delivered. Bars were emptied. The, a, a passion for prayer meeting filled the, the land so that the most desired social event was the prayer meeting. Can you imagine? They say in that one year in Wales, 1904-1905, up to 100,000 people were converted that year. And some say that this is the last true great revival in our world. And we need another. We need another. 
can you imagine if 100,000 people, that doesn't sound like much, but can you imagine if that many people were saved in New York City in the next year, truly saved? God turned the world upside down with 12 apostles. We need revival. And I believe this theme today gives us that hope for revival. We need to have a sure confidence of life beyond this grave. We must have that in our lives. Amen? We must know that this life is not all there is. This life of, of war and pandemics and death and sorrow and division and chaos and confusion. This life is not all there is. This life we can rest assured on the promises of God, on our Lord Jesus Christ, and there we have a hope beyond the grave. So we must live with this hope, this strong confidence. So there's three things we see about Abraham's hope beyond the grave. First of all, it came even though there was grief. <laughs> So we have hope beyond the grave. That doesn't mean we're not going to mourn and grieve in this life. So Abraham, we see in verses 1 and 2, grieve. For death strikes his beloved wife, Sarah. The wages of sin is death. And even the wealthy die, like Sarah. Even the beautiful get old and die, like Sarah. Even the famous, one of the most famous characters of, of the Bible... Wealthy and beautiful, Sarah, 127 years old, died. And for the first time we see Abraham rise up, and it says he came to where she was to mourn. To mourn for Sarah, verse 2. And first time we see Abraham weep. To weep. He weeps. Nothing wrong with weeping. Tears are the discharge of the agony of the human heart. And we all experience agony. Tears are the natural discharge when you're going through agonizing times. And Abraham's tears, just like your tears, relieve the pressure of inner pain. That's what tears do. They somehow relieve the pressure of the inner pain that we experience, don't they? And Abraham here, it says he mourns. But I'm reminded of that verse in Thessalonians that say, yes, when loved ones die, we sorrow and we weep and we mourn. But we do not do it without hope. Because Abraham has a hope beyond this life for Sarah. And he, he moves with that hope. You see, we don't deny the reality of death. Death is real, and death is painful, and death brings true grief and true tears. But our heart is fixed even in sorrow, even through tears. We'll trust God, sing to God, praise God. Through the weeping, we'll rejoice in the morning. If there is a time when a believer's life and testimony can shine bright, it's at such a time when you go through that grief. That's a time to show forth your faith. Show forth your faith with liquid love, tears, the reality of pain, but yet the hope beyond it. The time of death when we weep and mourn is a time to shine our faith. 
But believers do not say, this is all there is. This isn't all there is. So Abraham rises up to take care of her body and to bury, bury it, but to wait for the promise of God. For God had promised that land for them. For what kind of a possession? An everlasting possession. And that's why Abraham buries his wife Sarah in this land. Because God had given them this land. And he believed that God was going to do it. You see, God had made those incredible land promises, right? To Abraham. And this is the verse again. Can we say this verse? It says in Hebrews eleven thirteen, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Isn't that amazing? God had given them these promises and they weren't all fulfilled in their earthly life. Isn't that how you read that? God had said, your seed is going to be as the sand of the seashore. Was Sarah's seed like the sand of the seashore? How many children did she have? One. God said, I'm going to give you this land for a possession. How much of the land did they possess? None. But Abraham believed that God's promise would still be fulfilled. That took a lot of faith. And that's why he buries Sarah in this land. Because he knows he has hope beyond the grave. And God's promises are true. This life, we're just strangers and sojourners. But in the next life, we'll be possessors and conquerors. This word, mourn, used in verse number 2, it's the first time that word is used in the Scripture here in this passage. I thought that was very interesting. I'm always intrigued and, and it kind of sets off little bells in my mind. You know, when I come to a word, it's like, oh, first time it's used. And when you look up this word, it's often used to express the grief when a loved one dies, as Abraham is expressing the grief for the death of his wife. So it's often used for the grief over the death of a loved one, but not all the time. Sometimes this word mourn is used for national mourning, for national grief, and for people grieved over the national condition because of the judgment of God that is even coming upon the nation because of our sins. To mourn and grieve and cry to God for mercy, for revival. This word is often used like that. It's used in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 8. For this gird you with sackcloth, lament. That's the same word. Lament and mourn. Howl for the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. Lament because there's a coming judgment. It's used in Joel 1.13. Gird yourselves and lament ye priests. How, ye ministers of the altar, come, lie all night, he says, in sackcloth, ye ministers of God, for the meat offering, the drink offering, is withholding from the house of your God. In other words, things are broken down in Israel. Lament and mourn and weep. Beloved, we should weep for our nation. What we're living through in our world we are living in last days, perilous, truly the perilous times are here. 
The deceptions are growing everywhere. The ungodliness, the the unbelief of the Bible should cause us to weep. Our children come into schools like this and hear nothing of the truth of God. And they're learning a whole worldview that sets them against God and keeps them in darkness. We ought to weep for parents who are not faithful to their marriage bonds and their their marriages break time and time again. Adultery is full in our land. We ought to weep. All the wickedness, people embracing anti-Christ worldviews, evolutionary ideas, the denial of our God-given genders, Marxist ideology which is hateful to God. Marxism has no room for God. And it's coming, it's sweeping our land, even into our schools. We need a revival. We need to weep for our nation, for our city. We need to weep for our new mayor and pray for him as he comes into this new administration with so many problems to try to fix. We need to weep to comfort all that mourn, to appoint to them that mourn in Zion, to give to them beauty for ashes. This is what happens when a a people with tears cry out to God. He can give the oil of joy and replace the oil of joy for the mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that, that He might be glorified. That's what we need. We need to pray so God is glorified, that the name of Jesus Christ will be loved. You know, this world canceled Jesus Christ a long time ago when they crucified Him. We hear a lot about cancel culture. This world canceled Jesus Christ when they crucified Him. And we still are canceling Him. We need to pray and mourn as Abraham did for Sarah because we have a hope beyond the grave. Every man walking that we see walking the streets will bow their knee and one day confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But if it's too late, if they don't confess Jesus in this life, they'll die and go to hell. Every man living, every man walking will meet God, stand before God. And the result will be either either heaven or hell. Not many people are living with that reality, beloved. We need a revival. The second thing I want us to see is that we sojourn in this life. And we need to have a sojourning heart if we're going to have a revived life. We need to remember we're strangers in this world. As Abraham says in verse number 3, as he begins talking to these children of the, of the land and negotiating for a burying place for Sarah. He stood up from before his dead and he spake and he said, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 17, just go back a few pages. Go back to Genesis 17. Look at verse 8. And what's very significant about what Abraham says here when he says, I'm a stranger and a sojourner. Why did Abraham say that? Because in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 8, God said to Abraham, I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee. I'm reading in Genesis 17 verse 8. The land wherein thou art a stranger. All the land of Canaan. (laughs) I'm going to give you all the land. And how long am I going to give it to you for? For an everlasting possession. 
You're going to be on this land forever. And he says, I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan. But he says, the land wherein thou art a stranger. What did God call Abraham in this life? God called him a stranger. God says, you're a stranger in this land. So when Sarah dies, Abraham almost embraces that he's a stranger. Yeah, I understand, Lord, what you mean. I am a stranger. And he tells the people of the land, I am a stranger and a sojourner. So Abraham is only embracing what God had said of him. I am a stranger, a sojourner. Now, you know how long Abraham had been in that land? I did a little of the math, so you don't worry about it. I have 62. Good job, though, Micah. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe I'll, you're probably right, knowing, knowing you, you and me on this. Because <laughs> no. we know how old Sarah was when she died. He's about 10 years older, and we know how old he was, so you just do that math, yeah. 62 years. You know how old I am? And I thought of this, too. I'm 62 years old. And you know what I am in, in Greenwich Village? I'm a stranger. But you know where my dad was born? You know where my dad lived when he was a little baby? Right over here on Sheridan Square. Right there. My grandfather came here with his brother. You know where my dad worked my whole life growing up? a few blocks from here on Bethune Street, right down there on West Street. My grandfather had come here, started a printing company. They didn't own it. Too bad I'd be rich, you know, but okay. Then I wouldn't be a stranger, you know. (laughs) No, Abraham was rich. He was a stranger anyway. But my grandfather worked in this printing company on Bethune, so my dad became a printer, and my uncle, my dad's brother, they they were very close growing up. So as a kid growing up, this neighborhood was a part of my life. So I feel like I've been, not that I've lived here, but I I have a part of this neighborhood my whole life. But I'm still a stranger here. I'm a sojourner. And so Abraham had been in the land for 62 years. Still a stranger. And I thought of Abraham. He was rich, right? How much of the land had he bought up till then? Did he try to, did he, did he struggle and strain and say, well, I, God's promised me this land, so I'm going to figure it out myself and buy as much as I can. Did he do it? How much did he buy? None. Abraham was a great warrior. Remember when Lot got kidnapped? Abraham went and defeated the most powerful armies in the world at that time. Abraham could have fought for the land. And claimed it. God promised me this land. I'm going to fight for it now. How much of the land did he fight for and conquer? None. He was waiting on God. He had hope beyond the grave. A strong confidence. He was a stranger. That means he was out of sync in the culture that that he was surrounded by. He was out of sync. He he just didn't fit in. And a sojourner. That that, that is, he realized the temporary nature of this earthly residency. We're all like on a green card status. We're we're citizens. If you're born in America, yes, you're a citizen of this nation. But your ultimate citizenship is where, O child of God? Don't ever forget, it's heaven. Don't ever forget. We have hope beyond the grave and heaven is real.
We're strangers. We're out of sync. This life is temporary. We're just sojourning. Like the song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This is the, I believe this is the spirit of revival. We must have this heart. Realize that our faith extends to heaven. And we're just strangers in this culture. We're not trying to be like Lot, sit at the gate and get power for ourselves and get everybody's applause. We're here to glorify God and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. That's revival. I mean, we are out of sync in this world, especially in a neighborhood like this. We love the people. We love the people. We want everyone to come to Jesus. But you sometimes you're just walking up the street and somebody's in front of you and they're just talking and cursing up a storm. You ever hear that? And I say, wow, I'm out of sync. Young people on a Friday night just all looking like crazy. Like, where, what's the next bar they're going to go to? What's the next club they're going to visit? Out of sync. It's not us. We're not bar hoppers and club Clubbers going to the clubs and snorting coke and getting drunk and going into smoke shops and embracing this so-called woke culture, canceling everybody that disagrees with us. We're not buying into the narrative that you can state your own pronouns. What is this? I'm out of sync. Even when I go into a Starbucks, I know I'm not at home. Because Dunkin' Donuts is the place to be. (laughs) I'm definitely out of sync in Starbucks, man. That dark roast coffee just doesn't do any good for me. I'm just kidding. Don't you wish for the normal to return? But wait a minute, what's normal? We're to live blameless and harmless children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. This world is never normal. It's crooked. There's a darkness. There's a perilousness to it. We might wait for normal to to return, but that old normal was temporary. And so is this, whatever we're living through. It too shall pass. But we have to learn that we can spiritually thrive despite the world that was normal or that is not normal or whatever's going on. And rather than complain, we have to adapt. Don't accept the lies. Study and search for the truth yourself. And start with the Bible and get into the Word of God. Thy Word is truth, Jesus said. We're strangers and sojourners in this life. Like Joseph, he was the king of Egypt, but what did he say? I've been a stranger in a strange land. He named his son Stranger, because we're just strangers here. David was the king of Israel, and David said, We are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow. Even the king of the land said, I'm a stranger. The most powerful of the land, Joseph, I'm a stranger. And Abraham embraces it as well. A stranger. These all died in faith. They didn't receive the promises. 
they didn't receive the fullness of all that God had promised in this life. When are they going to get it? On the other side of the grave. And Abraham believed. That's what I'm talking to you about today. Do you get it? And this is what we need to have. This is the heart of revival. If we really have this heart that this life is not all there is. Even if you got everything in this life that you thought you should have or wanted to have, there's much more later on. This isn't all there is. Heaven is our home. Hallelujah. And we need to see that place afar off. And therefore we confess, I'm just a stranger. I'm a pilgrim here on this earth. Remember this dear brother? He passed away in March of 2017. So some of you don't know James Abiyamusa. Brother Vinny and a few others met him on our homeless outreach. And he began coming to church. James was a miner, just like Evan Roberts from Africa. And you know, James, from the time we met him to the time he passed away, lived in homeless shelters. But he always came to church in a nicely pressed, clean suit. You would never know he was homeless by talking to him. He never complained. When James passed away, I went through some of his papers that he left behind and I saw transfer notices from one shelter to the next to the next. A stranger, a sojourner. But God took him and brought him to his heavenly home where there's no more strange strangerness or sojourning for Brother James. You know, James was really a blessing in our church. He faithfully came out on our our homeless outreach. But not only that, you know what he would do? He would clean our office. And he would always set up the chairs for our HDI when we have our institute. He would set up the chairs, take it down. It was James who really gave life to our plant in our office, right, Ellie? We, We call him, what do we call our plant? Yeah. <laughs> and he also, you know what else he did? He would, he would just do a lot of different things, but whenever there was a light bulb that burned out in the office, he would, he would get it, and then he would, he, would, he would write down when that light bulb was replaced so that he knew how long those light bulbs were lasting and if there was a, a problem or issue. You know, I mean, he, he was an engineer. He was a miner. He, he could speak multiple languages. He helped another mission in the city here that had Chinese services. And James was from, from Ghana, but he had spent time in China and could speak Chinese. And he was used by God to be an interpreter to the Chinese people at a, at a mission. An unusual man. A brilliant man, a homeless man, a stranger and a sojourner in this life, but now home with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this is one of the reasons why I do love the church. (laughs) You wouldn't meet people like James if you didn't come to a place like this. And here's what I want to say too, beloved. We reach James because somebody went out and told him about Jesus. And James says, yes, 
I need the Lord. And he was saved in our church and baptized and grew here. And there are other James out there. Don't think that God isn't at work still calling people to himself and doing his work of salvation. Because he is. Our city is filled with James. Let's go out and reach them. The third thing I want us to see today about the life of Abraham This life of revival is he mourns, but with hope beyond the grave. And he sojourned because he had that hope beyond the grave. But thirdly, Abraham lived respectfully with the people around him. Because he had hope beyond the grave. He didn't expect the people around him to believe just the way he did. Most people aren't going to believe the way we believe. We, we encourage them to. But if they don't, we love them anyway. And we respect them as image bearers of God. So I see that Abraham is truly respected by the people of the land. Look what they call him in verse 6. What do they call Abraham? They call him in verse 6 a mighty prince. Abraham, you have been a mighty prince among us. Do you know how, what people should say of you on your job? What should the unsaved people say of you? Wouldn't it be awesome if your testimony was so solid, so kind, so gracious, so consistent, punctual, character-driven, you lived Christ, and they say, you know what? You are a prince, a mighty prince, and, and really the word is a prince of God. A prince of God among us. You're a man of God. Wow, Abraham had the respect of the people. You know why? He respected them. And this passage shows that he respected the culture of the land. He respected the, the, the way they did things. And he, he did things in accordance with cultural standards. But I see Abraham live respectfully here with hope beyond the grave. Now, first of all, he respects the dead. Of course, he respects his wife and her, and her need. And look what Abraham says here. He says, give me, in verse 4, he says, give me a possession of a bearing place with you that I may do what? That I may what? What does Abraham want to do? Bury my dead out of my sight. That's what he says, right? Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Don't get mad at me. But I'm going to ask this question and I'm going to let the Bible answer it. And you just have, you should, we should all accept the answer of the Bible, right? Can we do that? Okay. What should you do for your deceased loved ones when they die? And what should you ask them to do for you with your body when you die? You better put it in writing, by the way. Because if you don't put it in writing, they're going to do what they want to do with your body. So put it in writing what you want to be done with your body and what should that be? That's my question. I'm not answering it. I'm going to just ask the question, and so look at the Scriptures here. Look at verse number 6. Even the people of the land said, You're a mighty prince. In the choice of our sepulchers, do what? What does it say in verse 6? Bury thy dead. And at the end of that verse, again, it says, That thou mayest do what? Bury thy dead. Look at verse 8. Abraham, now speaking, says, If it be in your mind that I should do what? Bury my dead out of my sight. And then 
he needs, in verse number 9, what does he need? A burying place. Do you see that? And then look at verse 11. At the end of verse 11, he says, My people give I at thee, bury thy dead. That's the Ephron talking to Abraham. Bury thy dead. And now look at verse number 13. At the end of verse 13, Abraham says, I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead. Look at verse number 15. At the very end of verse 15, what's the last phrase? Bury therefore thy dead. And now look at verse number... Nineteen, and here it says, after this, what did Abraham do? He buried Sarah. Now, how many times did it say it there? I lost count. <laughs> it was the reason for my, you know, doing that, because of the emphasis of the Bible. So now listen, if your loved one dies and they don't want to be buried, you should fulfill what they, want, what they had written in their will. You can't do otherwise. I'm not saying you should bury someone who asks for something else to be done. But you have a decision on what to do with your body when it dies. What is the best thing to do and how is it the best way to have your body treated after you die? Based on all the verses we just read. How, and by the way, what did they do with the body of Jesus? He was buried. He was buried. Now, why, why is that? Why, why is burial always, in the Bible, the way godly people care for their remains? Because they're waiting for a better day. Now, you say, well, if somebody's cremated, can't the Lord put all those ashes back together again? Absolutely. Is somebody going to go to hell because they've been cremated? No! We're not talking about salvation here. We're saved by faith through Jesus Christ. We're not talking about losing your salvation if you get cremated. I've preached funerals where Christian people that love the Lord made that decision. But you know what? I always felt a little grief in my heart. Because I want to be like Jesus when it comes to the care of my body when I die. And that's to do what with it? Bury it. Bury it. Bury it. Burying is a way that we t- give a testimony of our love to them. A testimony of God's love. A care for the body. We don't take any action against the body, any violent type action against the body, either in life or by death. And, you know, I wouldn't set you on fire if you're alive. And I, I don't think I should set your, fire, your body on fire when you're dead. We should take care of the body and show that we respect the body God has given and we want it to be, to be preserved. And just like euthanasia, you know what euthanasia, mercy killing People want to say, you know, maybe they get cancer and they say, well, I'm just going to die. I'm just going to now, I want a doctor to assist me to kill myself. Do you think Christians should do that? Absolutely not. Why? Because God gives life. And if we get cancer, God has something to teach us through that trial. 
And let Him be God through it all. And let God's sovereign will take its course in His time. In life and in death. So even when we die, I don't believe we should hasten the process of our body going back to the dust. Let the process happen according to God's sovereign will. And yea, like Job even said, though the worms eat up my flesh, yet in my flesh I shall see God. But let God do it in His time. Afterwards, afterwards. We'll talk to you afterwards. Oh, oh, organ donation, I believe that's, that's fine. Yeah. You could, he, uh, good question. Organ donation, yeah. You can do organ do- I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, if somebody can use your heart or your eyes after you die, then that's, that's a godly use, I think, actually, of your body. So then, just lastly, and this can get a little uh, elaborate, and it's more complicated than certainly I can explain But Abraham shows respect and behaves with wisdom and humility toward the people of the land. And he shows respect toward their customs, to the the way they, they did things legally. He wasn't trying to change them into his image. So Abraham was completely polite and respectful in his dealings. And what I get from this... And, and I could be wrong because this is very, these are ancient negotiations going on and we don't see a lot of examples of this in scripture. But what I get from this is in, look at verse 11. And I think it's pretty interesting. So I would just want to bring out a couple things about this negotiation. Is we see that Ephron the Hittite offers Abraham the land as an outright gift. Says, here's the land. It's yours. Free. Take it. It's a gift. And he says it three times in verse 11. He says, no, my Lord, the field I give you, the cave I give it to you. And then he says, my people, we give it to you. Bury your dead. We give it to you. But Abraham knew that this was the custom of the land to offer a gift. And it was incumbent upon him to actually refuse the gift. (laughs) And to, to say, no, you can't give it to me. It's too valuable. But that's so kind of you, you know. It's, that kind of negotiation is going on. And, and so then Abraham says, no, I will pay you for the land. He offered money. So then Ephron came, came back and he says, well, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. Let me tell you something. That's no bargain in Abraham's day. That was a lot of silver. In fact, David only paid 50 shekels of silver for the purchase of the temple site. Abraham paid 400 shekels of silver for this gravesite. So Ephron was not offering him a low amount. He was offering the highest price. And Abraham, though, you know what he does? He accepts the price. He doesn't haggle. He doesn't bargain. He just accepts it and he pays. J.B. Phillips, in the commentary I have on him, he said, Why do so many Christians seem to have bad manners? That's a good question. We should have good manners before the world, before our neighbors, before those on our job. And we should show that kind of respect, even as Abraham showed. And that's, the, that's a revived life. So as I close, and our men, if you could get ready for the Lord's Supper. I read about in England, 
A certain time of year, they would bring about a dozen cages filled with pigeons and doves to a train station. And a little boy wandered up to a man and he, he said, what are all these pigeons and doves doing in these cages? So I want you to get this picture. It's 12 cages of pigeons and doves brought to a train station. And a little boy saw the, all these 12 cages. He says, what are you going to do with these cages? And the man said, these cages are going to be taken to different parts of Great Britain. Some will go south, some will go north, some will go east and west. They'll all go an equal distance. Each cage will go an equal distance away from this spot. And then, when they're all taken to that place tomorrow at 12 noon, at precisely 12 o'clock, all of the pigeons will be released out of the cages. They will climb into the air and they'll circle once or twice. And what do pigeons and doves have? They have an amazing homing sense, right? Homing, that's what they call them, homing pigeons. They can find the way home. And the first pigeon home wins the race. It was a pigeon race. And not by accident, the Holy Spirit is likened unto a dove. And when we are saved, the Holy Spirit, the divine Spirit of God, is like a homing dove. And it longs in us and grieves for home. Which is where? Heaven. So walk in the Spirit, beloved. Be filled with the Spirit. And as you are, you will have an instinct for heaven. You will live this life as a sojourner. You will go through mourning. You will go through tears. You will go through grief. But you will keep your eyes realizing, this isn't all there is. I'm a stranger. I'm a sojourner. I'm going to show love and respect to everyone around me. But I'm not home yet. But Jesus has done the work. Died on the cross. Was buried. And rose again. And now I have the Holy Spirit in me. Hallelujah. Be filled with the Spirit. Experience revival today. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, we're strangers of this earth. Let us live like princes of You, O God, as we await Your coming. Fill us with your spirit. Revive us again. Fill each heart with your love. Forgive us of our sins of the past year. There's a clean slate in 2022. Help us to live with that sure confidence, that hope of heaven. Lord, these are tough times, but we know that you are God. And you are overruling and overseeing everything that's going on. So we praise you, O oh God. And we love you, Lord Jesus, because you have loved us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to ask for John D. if you could come. Lead us in just two stanzas of I Shall Know Him. Our men can come as we sing.